going to wrap up a series today. We've been in for the last six weeks, can you believe it, called Unknowns. How many of you have enjoyed the Unknowns series? The pastors, the pastors had about an opportunity to rotate around. Even today, Pastor Jordan is in the Wiggins campus uh, up in the North Country, and Pastor Van is in Long Beach uh, sharing their messages of the unknowns. And of course, Pastor Casey, Pastor Stephen have rotated through, as well as Pastor Micah, and I, I have as well. And this is my last stop, and I am so glad to share it with you. And so, come on, let's jump in. What do you say? How many of you have heard of a man in the Bible? I'll give you a hint. Old Testament. His name is obed Edom. Come on, wave at me if you've ever heard of, oh, look at you, look at you Bible scholars. Y'all need to hang around, hang around some of these folks with their hands up because they, they've been in their Bibles. Obed-Edom, it was probably about 5% of the church and that's, that's, that's about right. That's what I was shooting for. I looked for somebody that I didn't think anybody knew. So Obed-Edom though, we're gonna jump in. He only has three verses in the Bible. And I'm going to read them right now and get that over with. And then we're going to talk about what's it got to do with me. Can we do that? Come on, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, his famous three verses start in verse 10, Obed-Edom. Now, in order to, to help you out here with this scripture and, and really the story today, you have to understand he was an unknown. And, and, and so to connect him with somebody that you know, uh, he comes in the storyline of, of David, King David. And it is after David was the king, he was the shepherd boy, then he killed Goliath, and then he became the servant of Saul, then he eventually became the king of Israel, David did. And so this is in that storyline. And David has been king just a short time when this scripture begins in 2 Samuel 6, verse 10, it says, he, David, was not willing to take the ark, somebody say ark, ark. we're gonna hold on to that word, ark of the Lord, to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Verse 11, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him, and his entire household. Verse 12, now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of what? The ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Come on, let's pray. Father, help us today to take these few scriptures and really just kind of wrap our minds around them, blow them up, help us to buy into the principle of experiencing your presence in the right way. God, help us to know you, help us to be known by you. We open our hearts right now. God, we're gonna lean in and engage today. We're gonna grab something. We're gonna get some help from the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so Obed-Edom, he was from, he was called a Gittite here, which typically means you're from uh, a certain region, which would have for him been a Gad. Gad was a coastal region. Uh, Gad, Gath, those were, uh, you might've heard of Goliath from Gath. That's, that's from that region on the coast there. So he was, he probably grew up or he spent much of his life in that region there. And he was a Levite. And, and we do see later on that he is a Levite. Uh, he, Levites were the musicians, the worship team here. Uh, would be considered Levites, you know, in, in the biblical uh, perspective. They, they, uh, so he was a Levite. He might have been a bass player, right? He might have been a guitar player. He might have been a trumpet player, but he was one of those guys. So he, he, he grew up in church. He was on the team. He knew all about the things of God. He had experienced to some degree the presence of God. And so here it was, he's on the, on the side of the road, his little house on the side of the road, and he has this fantastic experience and storyline that we're gonna jump into today. But, but, but he's the star of my message 
message, but, but in order to understand the significance and how it ties into us, I want to talk to you just for a moment about the ark of God, the ark of God. We read here in the scripture, the ark of the Lord was what David went to retrieve, the ark of God. Now, the ark of God was given to Moses by God. Remember, remember Charlton Heston in the movie, Ten Commandments? Remember that? Moses set my people free. Remember that, right? Okay, you're with me. And then, and then, they were, that, then God gave him the design. He was up on the mountain 40 days and nights without food, and God gave him the design for the tabernacle in the wilderness. You read in the book of Exodus. And so he came back down, told the people they built this tabernacle. Originally, it was really a tent. They called it the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting with who? God, right? The presence of God. And so the, the priests would assemble this tent. They would put it in there and God gave him specific designs, specific Pacific blueprints. And, he, and, he, and so they would put it together, right? And then, and then they would light a fire there in the altar and have everything just right. Man, there was some incense going and, and some smoke. Y'all like the smoke we put out here with the lights? You know, they had the LEDs going and the smoke was going. The band started playing, God with us. They had, they had, they had the, the, everything was right on. And then the presence of God would descend on the tent of meeting and God would meet with his people. Now, there was this one spot, this one item inside the tent, in the back of the tent, behind the curtain called the Ark of the Lord. And, and, and God gave Moses the design for that ark. And literally, it was a, a wooden box that, that they built. And then they overlaid it with gold inside and out. They overlaid it with gold. And they had some ornate carvings and beautiful carvings. And they put a lid on it that was wood overlaid with gold. And then they, they, on that lid, they carved these golden cherubs that were huge. They were like, like massive winged creatures that were overlooking this, this center spot right in the middle of, of the ark. And God's presence would come down and literally come down and rest right there on that spot. The presence of God would be in the midst of the camp, the midst of the people. And so God had given it to Moses. Now, David understood this. He was a church boy. He understood this. So he went to retrieve the ark and bring it back to Jerusalem. And something happened that caused them to to have to put it in Obed-Edom's house. And so I wanna kinda, I wanna bring you up to speed and tell you a little story. 70 years before David went to retrieve this ark, 70 years before, the children of Israel was in the time of the judges. If you've read your Bible, the book of Judges, it was in the time of the judges. And so the children of Israel, they were always fighting, man. They were fighting with somebody. You can see that all throughout the Old Testament. And so they were fighting the Philistines. The Philistines would come out to war in the spring. They'd go out to meet them. They'd fight, fight, fight. So they went out to fight the Philistines and, and, they, and they actually got beat that day in battle. This was 70 years before our story of Obed-Edom. They went out and they got beat that day. So they retreated, they gathered up. And they said, hey, what are we gonna do? And somebody had the bright idea. Let's take the ark of the Lord right? Let's take the ark of God's presence with us into battle. Surely God's for us. And, and if, that, if God's for us, who can be against us? So they took the ark of the Lord and they marched out. They were so excited. Woohoo! God's with us today. They went out into battle and the Philistines beat them again. And they captured the ark of the Lord. And they took the ark of the Lord back to their cities. And the Philistines were known to have these five major cities. And so they took them back, took the ark of the Lord back to their capital city. And they put it in their temple at the feet of their statue god, Dagon. And they put the ark right there in their temple, right there, really as a, a, a way of mocking the Israel God. 
So they all went to bed and the next morning they woke up and Dagon, this massive carved structure, this idol, Dagon was laying on the floor. It kind of messed them up, right? Yeah, yeah, it kind of messed them up. Like, what's up with this? So they, they, somehow they stood it back up. The next morning after they woke up, they came back out and he was laying down again, but this time his arms and his legs were broken off. They couldn't stand him back up again. They're like, this is freaky. This is messed up. So they began to contemplate, what are we gonna do? So they kept the ark. I don't know if they moved it out or left it in, but they kept the ark for a little while, but something began to occur. The Bible says that they began to develop tumors in their groin area. Now, theologians that really have studied this and concurred on this say that more than likely what the Bible is referring to is hemorrhoids. Come on, look at somebody next to you and say, did he just say hemorrhoids? Can we even say hemorrhoids in church, you know? More than likely, that's what the Bible's referring to. So we're going to go with that today because it sounds really cool. They began to develop hemorrhoids. Not only that, but they also began to experience a massive rat infestation in their community there in that town. And after a little season, they were like, man, we, we've got to get this ark of the Lord, you know, the Israel got out of here. So they shipped it out to the second city. Interestingly enough, the exact same thing began to happen there. A plague of hemorrhoids took over and rats showed up. <laughs> Read your Bible. This is crazy, right? Yeah, but it's in there. It, then they said, let's get it out of here. They shipped it to the third city. Then the same thing happened. Fourth city, same thing happened. Fifth city, same thing happened. They all got hemorrhoids and they all had rats. <laughs> I know it's just like y'all are like, not even believing me right now. I'm serious. So, so, so after five cities, hemorrhoids everywhere, rats everywhere, they said, we've got to send it back to Israel, this box, this golden box. We, this, we can't deal with this. You, you know what I'm saying, right? Some of you are puckering up right now. You know. So, so they, 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 they said, let's send it back. And well, they didn't just send it back because they wanted to make sure it worked, right? Like take Take that with you. So they actually, read your Bible, it says they actually, they molded and shaped five very large golden hemorrhoids and five very large golden rats and they put them in a box, put them on the cart with the Ark of the Covenant. They hooked up two new mama cows, just had their calves over here. Calves are still saying, mama, you know, and they, and they shoot them away. And this is what they said. If the cows take it to Israel, we know that was God. If they come back for their calves, we'll know it was just crazy. We all got hemorrhoids and we're in trouble, you know? So, so they sit and the cows went back to Israel and took the ark back to Israel. Now, let me just stop and make a point about this. The Philistines represent the world and, and guys, the world will always mock God. Always. Sometimes as Christians, we get mad at the world for mocking God. The people who don't know God, they mock God. We get mad at the world for mocking God when that's what the world's always done, has mocked God. But you know, God doesn't need us to defend him to the world. He's, he, he's got hemorrhoids in his pocket. And he uses them when he wants to. Let's move on. They experienced seven months of this plague and then they sent the ark off. When the ark began to roll into the hill country of Israel, it actually arrived at a town called Beth Shemesh, which was an Israeli town. And these Israelites saw it coming up the hill on this 
cart and they knew what it was and they got so excited. They began to celebrate. They brought their people together. All their community leaders came together. They had retrieved the ark of God's presence. And they were so excited. And so they had this big party and they set it up in the middle and they, 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 the Bible says that, that everything was going great until 70 of their leaders died. And the Bible goes to say, on to say, the reason they died is because they opened the ark and looked inside. Now, let me tell you what was inside the ark. If you go back in Exodus, God had given Moses the 10 commandments that he wrote in stone with his very own finger. He gave those to Moses and that's what was in the ark. The law of God. The law of God is the law of God. It is the heart of God. It is God. It is who he is. It's his character. It's his nature. And that's what he gave to the people of Israel. That's what he gave to humanity through Moses on those stones. And they were in that box that day. But the problem was that they had to remove the lid, right, to look in the box. And the lid, some of you may know this, but many don't. The lid actually was called the mercy seat. And they had to remove the mercy of God to view the law of God. And you can't have the law of God without the mercy to God because it kills you. Some today still, some today still want the law of God. Thus saith the Lord, God is. And, and we got to stick to that, but they negate the mercy of God. And, and, and many died because of that. And it kills people today. Maybe not physically, but it kills people spiritually today. When you snuff out people's life by removing the mercy of God. God's mercy is great. So they realized they couldn't keep the ark. So they sent it on down the road a little ways further to Kiriath Jerem, which was where Abinadab lived. Now, Abinadab was one of the priests like Obed-Edom, and he lived there. And so he took the ark and he set it up in his house and he kept it there. And it remained there for 20 years. And then some of you may know the storyline in 1 Samuel where King Saul became king. He was, this, he was this good looking guy, tall, long hair, looked like an 80s rocker. You know, and he, was, he was a good looking guy and God made him the king. The Bible says this about King Saul. He ruled Israel for 40 years, 40 years. And when you read the storyline of King Saul, not one time do you see that he went to Abinadab's house to get the ark of God's presence. Just a little side note there is that sometimes we go through the motions and we do all the right things that God seems to want us to do and we do it all without his presence. He ignored the presence of God, guys. You know, I, I do know this and I'm not critical of other churches and I don't mean this to be a critical statement, but sometimes churches are going through the motions and they're doing it all right, but they're missing the most important element and that's the very presence of God in the center of the church. King Saul did that for 40 years. He ignored the presence of God. Then David became king. That's really where our story picks up here. Uh, David became the king of Israel. And the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1, this is the few verses before what we read already, that he got excited about the ark. And the first thing he did was, let's go get the ark. So he sa it says in verse one, David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000 of them. He didn't play around. He didn't call together 30 guys and say, let's go get the ark. He called together 30,000 of his, his top guys. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the capital in name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ohio, any Buckeye fans? <laughs> what a name. 
sons of Abinadab were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ohio was walking in front of it. David and all of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord. Man, they were throwing down. They had their cast nets, where Scott Laird. They had their cast nets, their harps, their lyres, their timbrels, their systems, and their cymbals. It was a parade, guys. They were throwing down. This was a very exciting day. Very exciting day. They were bringing the ark back to Jerusalem, to the center of the church, the very presence of God. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? How can God's presence ever come to me? How can we bring the presence of God to the center of the church if God's so mad, if God's so mean, if God is so wrathful? Yet we learn from this story that David treated the presence of God as a common thing. Uzzah's very name means the strength of man. Wood in the Bible always characterizes the strength of man. They built this, they built this, this ark, this box out of wood, which represents humanity. Then they overlaid it with gold, which always represents deity. This box with the mercy seat on top that was being worshiped by these cherubs really was a picture of Jesus. Jesus, all man, all God. It was Jesus, Christ with us, the hope of glory. Jesus, the presence of God. The Philistines mocked Jesus. The, 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 the men of Israel moved the mercy seat off the top and they thought they could have the law of God without the mercy of God. Saul ignored Jesus for 40 years and David treated Jesus as a common thing. And a man died that day and it struck fear throughout the land. It seems as if through reading these stories in the Bible that God wants us to experience his presence, but there is criteria, there's a way to go about it that we have to understand in order to interface with God's presence, to engage God's presence. And I, I'm, I'm believing that Obed-Edom, just this humble guy on the side of the road, probably figure that out somehow because the Bible goes on to say that he was blessed. He wasn't killed and he didn't get hemorrhoids. Come on, you know, he, he was blessed. So let's take a look real quick. First of all, I wanna kinda, I wanna kinda just take you there and, 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 and I'm a visual guy, I like to see this, but imagine with me, imagine with me uh, on the next day. David came, this guy died and they said, oh my, and they took the ark and they put it and they're like looking around. Obed-Edom's house, and they, and they put it in Obed-Edom's house. I don't know that he had a choice. They put it in his house. Here's the ark of God's presence that just killed a guy that gave people hemorrhoids, all this stuff in the past, and he knows about it, and, and it's in his house. And the next morning, he wakes up, and he gets out of bed, and he sits on the side of his bed. Can you imagine? Oh, my God is in the other room. <laughs> You know, he slips on his slippers, then he takes them right back off. He's like, I am not, I am not dying today. 
I don't know if he crawled or he walked or he snuck, but he probably crept over to the door and he just cracked the door a little bit just to make sure he was still there. And he was. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if that was you? Oh. He opens the door and gosh, I don't know how he did it. I just think if I was me, I'm just thinking I'm opening the door and I'm getting really low. <laughs> I'm just, I'm crawling. Can you get me on this camera, Rebecca? I know you said don't move much. And he crawls out and there it is, the presence of God. He doesn't get too close. And he just begins to worship the presence of God. And all of a sudden, from a distance, he hears the pitter pattering of some little boy's feet coming through the house. He's like, whoa, 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 back up, back up, back up. Don't you get too close. Don't, didn't you see what happened to the guy yesterday? Get down, get down, get your shoes off. Get over here. Get gather his whole family around the ark of presence of God and he began to worship God. The Bible says he did this for 90 days. He experienced this for three whole months. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know that I, I would have gone to work. You know, I'd have called in sick for 90 days. I don't know. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he didn't. Maybe, you know, he was, he was one of the worship leaders, whatever. And so maybe he went to work, but he couldn't wait to get back home. He rushed back home because he wanted to get down at the presence of God and honor his God, to love on his God, to experience his God to be in the very presence of his God. Imagine the emotion, imagine the heart, imagine the mind, the, the thinking of my, my God is in my house. Would that be crazy if you knew God was at your house? Would that be crazy to know that God was in this room? Would, would we take him for granted? Would we ignore him? Would we treat him as common or would we say, oh, my God is in the room? Sometimes I wonder about me. Why don't I? Why haven't I? Why have I not treated God with great respect? In his very presence. We sing the song, God with us. Yes, he's with us. What's up, God? Jesus, my homeboy. You know, we do that. But man died from doing that in the Bible. I believe Obed-Edom, had to, he had to have something here. And I, I, I told you already, he only had three verses in the Bible. But I, I jumped into the New Testament. I said, God, you surely explained to us what he had, what he had. And so I got real quick, three things I'm just going to just throw out to you. And, and if you're a note taker, write this down. If not, just grab it with your mind because we want to move forward today with, with something, right? We want something that's going to help us approach God and experience God's presence. And I know this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So it is God's design and God's desire to draw us near. He wants us to experience his presence. He paid price, the price of his blood on the cross to bring us near him, right? On the cross, he did that so that we could experience his presence. So, so if you're taking notes, write this down. We, we must approach Jesus from a position of brokenness, brokenness. I have to believe Obed-Edom figured this out. That's why I think he probably crawled in that morning. Brokenness, brokenness. In James chapter four, verse seven, it says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We love that scripture, but that's all we quote sometimes. And listen to the rest of this. Eight says, come near to God. <laughs> that's what we're talking about today. And he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. This is a very sobering passage of Scripture, but it gives us one of the keys to approaching God's presence. We've got to humble ourselves. 
We've got to see sin is sin and our sin as that, that we own that sin and we repent of that sin and we're broken in that sin because without Jesus Christ, without the blood of Christ that he spilt on Calvary, we are doomed to separation from God, never to experience his presence. But because of that blood and because of our brokenness, our sins can be washed white as snow and we can approach God's presence. Sometimes we think our good deeds earn us the right to join God's presence, but the Bible goes on to say that the best we can give God is like filthy rags. It's not about our good deeds, it's about our brokenness and our humility before God. One of my personal core values, or one of, one of, the, one of the traits that I, I run to and cling to as a, as a man is humility. I don't always hit the mark, but I really try because I, I don't ever want to be so full of pride that I, that I hurt people and that I miss the presence of God. It's all about brokenness. I, I wrote this in my notes. I've got to read it to you. And it's one little short sentence, but it says, I need God. He doesn't need me. Amen. Boom. <laughs> and in that brokenness. Number two, if you're taking notes, write this down. We must approach Jesus with a pure heart. You might think, well, that's the same thing, right? It's not the same thing. A pure heart, a pure heart. Watch this. Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart for they will what? See God, God. experience the presence of God. Blessed are the pure at heart. The word pure there is a, a, a Greek word, katharos. It means to be clean, to be blameless, to be unstained from guilt. It means this, to be purified by fire. Come on, somebody say fire. fire. That's a scary word. A few scriptures, a few chapters before Jesus said this, John the Baptist said this, Matthew 3.11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. That's that hum- humbleness and humility there. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and what? And fire, fire. Jesus baptizes us with fire. He purges us and he purifies us by allowing us to go through heated situations in life. We run from heated situations and Jesus loves it when we find ourselves in them because that is what purifies us. James knew this later on when he wrote in chapter one, he said, count it all joy when you experience various trials and hardships and fires because that's what produces maturity and purity in you. It makes you whole and complete. In order to approach the presence of God, we must be pure. In order to be pure, we've got to go through some fire. I don't remember if it was Pastor Van. I'm going to give him credit for it. I think it was Pastor Van said this years ago, and I clung to it. I, I mean, I held on to that. I even wrote it down. I've read it since many times. But instead of asking why me when going through a hard time, ask what Lord what are you purging from me? What are you purifying in me? What are you removing from me that stains me and keeps me from experiencing your presence? Some of you are in the fire right now. Stop cursing what God allows. I'm not saying he sent it because for you, it might be a disease or sickness and God doesn't send that on us, but he's an opportunist and he will leverage that and he will use that to purge you of your pride. He will purge you of your ambition that's destructive to your life with God. He will purge you of all the greed and all the doubts and fears that try to live inside of you. He'll purge those so that you can be pure and blameless and stand before a holy God and experience his presence. 
the last thing if you're taking notes. It's actually a little contradictory to the first two. But I thought it was really cool as I read this in the scripture. In Hebrews 4, it really, it really says it. And I don't know if you guys, if you got it in the Amplified, because I'm going to read it in the Amplified. If you don't have it in the Amplified, don't put it up, but I'm going to read it in the Amplified. It says, let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor to us sinners, what, that we may receive mercy for our failures and find grace to help in good time for every need, appropriate help and well-timed help coming just when we need it. Come fearlessly and confidently and boldly. So, okay, so we established we've got to be broken, right? We've got to be humble. We've got to be pure. In our brokenness and purity, it seems impossible to come boldly, but God says, no, 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 no. Once you've experienced brokenness, once you've experienced the purity, you can then boldly come into my presence, fearlessly come into my presence, run into the throne room of God. I'm gonna preach louder than that baby, I'm telling you. Run boldly into the, into the very throne room of God. God bless her, God bless her. Hey, you come back when he quits crying. He beat me, that's it. Core value, humble. (laughs) Daddy says, come on, kids. Come on in the house. Broken, pure. Come in the house and let's party together. We come expecting. We say, yes, Lord, I have a a need for a miracle. I need a healing. We don't go to God. God, would you please heal me? He said, no, I, I want to heal you. Did you know that the Bible says this? It says this, that it brings God good pleasure to give you his kingdom. Daddy loves you and he wants to give you everything you need. And we can fearlessly, boldly come into his presence and experience blessing. Obed-Edom did something right because it says he was blessed. Him and his whole household and everything he had, his cows probably put more milk out, more babies out. His kids grew up, they were blessed because he did something right. He approached the very presence of God in brokenness and humility and purity, but boldly. I want that. How many of you say, I want that? Let's just pray right now. Come on, get along with God right where you're at. Right where you're at, just get along with God. And let's just pray. I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant right now to even ask God to help me with this because I think he's given so much instruction in this few moments we've been together that we already know how. So God, please forgive us of our unbelief and our doubt. God, please forgive us for thinking we could do it our own way. Today, we humble our hearts and we, we submit our lives to your purifying fire. We trust you with everything. And we come boldly into your presence and say, Abba, Father, we love you, we honor you, and we're ready to live this adventure with you. Come on, nobody's looking around right now. I want want to really say this and conclude with this, that God loves you. Some of you need to hear this. You've never heard it, or maybe you've forgotten this, but God's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. He created you to be with him. And because of sin, your sins and the sins of the world, we're separated from God. And the Bible tells us that because of our sin, we cannot come into the very presence of God. There's nothing we can do to remove those sins. No good works, no good attitudes, no 
no, no blood, sweat, and tears that can take those sins away. They can only be removed by the price that Jesus paid by dying on the cross for those sins. The Bible tells us if we will believe in our hearts that Jesus died for those sins and we'll confess it with our mouth that we would be saved, rescued, brought near to God is what that means. Everyone who trusts Jesus and confesses him as Lord receives eternal life to live forever in the very presence of God. That is life. You know, the word death is literally the separation from God's presence. God doesn't desire that for us. He desires life to live forever eternally in his presence. And what we must do is say yes to Jesus and let him bring us on this new great adventure. So nobody's looking around right now. I would love to pray for those of you who are here today that you say that you say, I've never said yes to Jesus. I've never given my life to him. I've never been saved or born again. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you're here today and you did say yes to Jesus when you were like eight, 10, 12 years old. You walked an aisle, you prayed a prayer, you joined a church, got baptized, you went through the whole thing. But then since then, five, 10, 20, 30, 40 years have passed. You're here today and you don't know God. You don't experience his presence. And you're here today and you say, you know what? I'm not satisfied with that. I want to re-engage. Either way, I want to pray with you right where you are. I'm not gonna ask you to stand up, but I am, I am gonna do one thing. I, I wanna ask you to express faith in God by simply doing this. If you wanna pray this prayer, if you wanna be a part of this prayer today and get right with God, I wanna ask you to do this one thing, and that is simply this. Slip your hand up and put it right back down all over the room and say yes to God. Just acknowledge God. God bless you here in the back. God bless you, sir. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, sir, on the side over here. This, ma'am. Somebody else. Yes, God bless you, ma'am. I see the hand on the side. I see that hand, sir. Yes, God bless you. Yes, in the back. God bless you, sir. Come on, yes, ma'am, God bless you. God's here with us right now because he loves you. And he so desperately wants to, wants to wash away your sins and get on with this adventure and share his love with you. He wants to be with you as you go through the mountaintop experiences and walk through the valley, the shadow of death. He wants to walk with you and express his good love to you. Anybody else? You didn't raise your hand. You said, that's me, pastor. Please include me in that prayer. Anybody else? All over the room. God bless you. God bless you. Okay. Come on, if you raise your hand, I want you to pray something like this. Yes, God bless you, sir. If you raise your hand, say something like this. Say, God in heaven. Come on, help us out, folks, all over the room. God in heaven, please forgive me for my sins. I turn from them today and I ask you to save me. Come live inside of me. Teach me to know you. Teach me to love you. I give you all of me, Jesus. And I receive all of you. Amen. Amen. Everybody look at me real quick. Everybody look at me all over the room. So, so many hands, so many hands. Let me tell you, let me tell you, you have to see this. Sometimes as men, we complicate it. God doesn't complicate it. He says, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. And when we, when we confess Jesus and we ask him to forgive us, God's ready. He's here. This is what he does. He forgives those sins. And I can say this with boldness today. If you pray that prayer from your heart, God says this to you, your sins are forgiven. Really, that's, that's it. He's like, your sins are forgiven, right? Now, watch this, watch this. But that's not all. Now he's reaching his hands out and he's saying, come on, grab my hands, let's go. Let me show you how it's done. 
Let me connect you with some people. Let me connect you with the right people. Let me, let me bring you into my presence. Let me show you how you can get free from the years and years and years of, of drama and trauma and sin and wounding that you've experienced and show you how to live in the presence of God in an everyday experience. And that's God's plan for your life, nothing less. So those of you who raised your hand today, tell somebody. Tell the person who brought you. Tell the person back home praying for you. Tell somebody, tell us. We would love to know that you made a decision today. You tell us, we're on board. We're gonna pray for you. We're gonna, we're gonna try to engage you in any way we can. I will tell you this, we're not gonna come to your house and call you later today, but we will, we will create, we have created and we will help you connect to the pathway for your next steps with God. Take the time, fill out that connect card in the seat pocket in front of you. Put on the back, put on the back, I made a decision today. If you got a prayer need on the bottom, write that on there and we will be praying with you and believing God for you. It's a big deal. It's a big day for you. And we're very excited for you. Come on, give it up for those who made decisions today. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv connect and fill out the online information card, our lead pastor, Van DeCote wants to send you a letter that tells you some more steps to take that'll help you maintain your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you live in one of these areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and locations. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv slash give or simply text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.